Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. We know that the series of messages that I'm delivering deals primarily with the Holy Spirit. We're dealing with the Holy Spirit as it is related in the book of Acts. This evening we're turning to the second chapter and the first four verses. You'll turn there and follow as we read. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Old Testament has many feast days that are recorded. One of them, of course, that we're well familiar with is the Feast of the Passover, which was the time that our Lord was crucified. Fifty days following that particular day was another feast called the Feast of Pentecost. It was designed to recognize the first ingathering of the harvest. It's interesting to me that for 1,500 years the Hebrew people had been observing the Feast of Pentecost and it become ritual to them, as many of our holidays are, without much meaning. And the Lord selects this one particular day to cause it to take on a totally different meaning, more important meaning, but parallel to that which it had been used for, and that is that he designed it now to be the recognizing of the first ingathering of souls into the kingdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we spoke last night, the night before, we recognize that the Holy Spirit is the one with whom we have to deal. We're not dealing directly with God the Father because his period of dispensation his time upon earth dealing with man from, from the father to man himself is long over. And with, with the exception of a few interventions, we will not have any direct relationship to God the Father. With the exception of a few direct interventions, we will not have any relationship to God the Son. But we are in that period of time in which we are dealing with God the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts the heart of sin. It's the Holy Spirit that causes people to know that they're lost and are doomed for an eternity eternity of damnation without accepting the gift of the second person of the Trinity, the Son, and what he did on the cross of Calvary. The day of Pentecost ought to be a special day. And on this day, the disciples and the apostles, 120 of them total, were all told, be in the upper room. 
and wait until something took place. We spoke of last night. I think those 120 people went up to that upper room as individuals. And I think they came out as the church. They went up to that upper room with their prejudices, with their fusses, with their arguments, with their inequalities, with all the things that makes people individuals, with the, with the lack of unity, with the lack of purpose, with the lack of any knowledge as to what the future might be or, what they, or how they were to fit into it or what they were to do in it. And an event took place in that upper room that brought them together as a group, a body of people that we now call the church. And when they left the upper room, they went out in unison. That's what gave them the power to preach on the streets. That's what caused the, the 3,000 people to be saved on that day. Not that it was the preaching of Peter, but it was the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through 120 people of the church who were speaking with one voice, one message, because they had received the Holy Spirit into their lives from God above. This is the very thing that causes the lack of the power in the church today in that we sometimes come in as individuals and we go out as individuals. And as long as we're in that mode of operation, we're not going to be the power of God in the community. Only when we can settle our differences, when we can forget about our personalities and who's on first and who's on second, who's behind the pulpit and who's in the pew and who's in the choir and all of that and forget about those and realize that we are a body of people all filled with the power of the Spirit for one purpose and that is proclaiming the gospel of Christ in whatever our little job might be. One message because we have one Spirit. So there needs to be oneness of mind and oneness of heart. Well, they finally got themselves to the point they got over their differences the scripture says that they were in one place in one accord the people of our church who have not been in this one place this week have missed a tremendous blessing and if we're not of one accord we would miss a tremendous blessing and here they were of one accord and suddenly the scripture says something began to happen that they didn't know anything about. They heard something. It sounded like a tornado. A rushing mighty wind. They didn't see it. They didn't even feel it. First, they heard it. John 3.8 says, the wind blows where it listeth, and you hear the sound thereof, but can't tell from whence it cometh and whither it goeth, and so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, one thing I think it means is that there is no way that you or I are going to explain 
fully and completely to anybody's satisfaction what has taken place in our lives. Like the stories that we can read throughout the New Testament and particularly of the one of the blind man whom Jesus healed and I spoke of him last night and he went to the temple and when they inquired of him as to how he could possibly see since he had been blind from his birth his answer was I don't know all I know is that once I was blind and now I see and to those of you who are not Christian tonight you ask me how this has taken place in my life and I'll have to tell you the same thing I don't know but there's one thing I do know. Once I was spiritually blind and now I have spiritual eyes because there was something that transpired in my life similar to what transpired in the lives of the apostles in the upper room. They heard something and they responded to what they heard. They described it as a rushing mighty wind. Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing. Did you know that? How do you get faith in God? By hearing. By hearing. Not by seeing anything. One's faith comes by listening to what? And the answer is to the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I've had people say to me, you know, I would accept Christ if I thought I would feel right about it. When my feelings get right, I'll make a decision. I want to answer that. You're never, never, never going to make a decision if you expect your salvation to be based upon how you feel. If my salvation is based on how I feel, today I feel saved. And I think I'll feel saved tomorrow. But you know, Monday morning I may not feel saved. Have I lost my salvation? Hearing the word of God says produces faith in me. And I know that I'm saved by faith because the word of God says I'm saved. Not on my feelings but on what I have heard. And the word of God says that we are saved by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever shall call upon his name shall be saved. I called on his name, I asked for salvation, and salvation is not something that I do or I did. Salvation is something that God does. We've got to understand that we can't save ourselves. If we could save ourselves, today we'd be saved and tomorrow we would be lost. But listen, we're dealing with the salvation that God does, God gives, and God performs. You mean to tell me that God is going to do something so weak 
that today I can be saved and tomorrow I can be lost. I can't believe that and it's not found in His Word. My faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Therefore my salvation is based upon the Word of God, not upon how I might feel about it at any given time. Now the opposite. There are some people who feel saved who aren't. And you know why you feel saved when you aren't? Is because the devil says, hey, you're saved. Don't you worry about anything. You go to church, that's good enough. You're from a Christian family, that's all you need. You bow your head in prayer once in a while, don't you? Sure, I do. Well, that's almost necessary. That's not what the Word of God says. And we're going to talk about that before this night's over. So they heard something. They heard the Holy Spirit speaking to their hearts. There's another symbol used here of the Holy Spirit. And it's called tongues of fire. You know, Bill talked about fire all the time he was preaching. Four sermons, and he used fire every one of them. You ever heard so much fire in all your life? Pretty good preaching, too, I'll tell you. And every bit of it was accurate. I want to just relate a little bit to that fire he talked about. One fire that the Bible speaks of is the fire of judgment. In the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation. The scripture talks about. Fire coming down out of heaven in verse 9. And destroying. Men upon earth. Who did not believe in Jesus Christ whom Satan had gathered together during that time that he was let out of prison and allowed to roam the earth for a short period of time. And he gathered together all of the lost people of the earth to fight against uh, Jesus Christ and his troops. And the scripture in verse 9 says that fire came down out of heaven and devoured them. In verse 10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. All right, the first thing we see about fire is the devil is condemned to an eternity of damnation described as a fire burning night and day, eternal torment. But verse 11 talks about a white throne judgment. The white throne judgment is set up for the lost Every Christian will not be in the white throne judgment, but every lost individual will stand before God. Now listen to me. Everybody's going to stand before God. But if you are lost, you will stand before God in what is called the white throne judgment, and you're going to be standing there to try to justify the life that you lived upon earth and get yourself out of hell into heaven. And the whole thing is going to be revealed before 
God and all the people standing there that there is nothing in your life that can justify you for heaven. And verse 14 says that death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Listen, hell is not the last place. Hell itself is going to give up. The people are in it. They're going to go out of hell into heaven and stand before the judgment seat of God and there give an account of themselves and there all of hell will be cast into the lake of fire. This is described in verse 14 as the second death. But look at verse 15. It says, Whoever was not found written in what? The Lamb's book of life written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. The question that you need to answer tonight is your name written down in the Lamb's book of life. In that book that God keeps in heaven, is your name in it? Well, I can tell you on the assurance of what I've heard, that if your name is not in the Lamb's book of life, you will be cast into the lake of fire. Verse 8 of the 21st chapter, real quickly. And the fearful and unbelievers and abominables and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There are two words there I want you to notice. The fearful and the unbelieving... If you don't believe, you're going to have a part of hell and the lake of fire with all of those others that are listed. But the first word, fearful. I've had people say to me, as soon as I can figure out so that I can hold out, if I am going to become a Christian, I want to know that I can live it. And as soon as I can know that, and then I'll become a Christian. Brother, you're never going to do it you're never going to do it a Christian can't hold out any more than a sinner can hold out what makes us saved it's not anything that we do ourselves it is the power of God that holds us in the palm of his hand and keeps us safe and secure so if you're waiting for a time when you think that you can hold out, you're going to live it now. I've got it all sorted out. Everything's in order. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to quit my drinking. I'm going to quit my cussing. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to treat my family right. I'm going to be a good neighbor. I'm going to do all these mighty wonderful things, and that's great. But listen, that doesn't make anybody saved. And if you think that you're going to live a perfect life from this point on, you're fooling yourself. For we're all sinners, every one of us. The only difference is some of us are going to heaven and some of us are going to hell. And the difference is not what we do, but what God does for us. Well, that's one use of fire in the Bible is to talk about judgment. There's another one. It deals with purging. If you want to clean up a piece of ground, one good way to do it is to burn it. I've burned lots of it. Good way. Go back to 1 Corinthians with me. Chapter 3. 
verse 11 and following talks about the foundation of a person's life. We as Christian people have a foundation called Jesus Christ upon which we build our lives. Alright, now let's see what we're building. He says in verse 12, If any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made known. That's what the word manifest means, made known. For the day, that is the day of judgment, shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if a man's work abide which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now there's some interesting things in that verse. That which we produce in our lives is described in six words. It could be described as gold or silver or precious stone and then it gets to deteriorating from there, or it could be wood, hay, or stubble. The question is, are we producing something precious in our lives for the glory of God, or are our lives nothing but just stubble? Just stubble, that's all. Or hay. Or maybe it's wood, but it'll still burn. What kind of life are we living the point is, when we as Christian people go before the throne of God, our lives will be revealed as well, and he will be looking at the kind of life that we lived upon earth to determine what it's made out of. And what are we going to get for living a good life? He said we're going to receive a reward. There are many people who don't believe that God gives out rewards, but listen, he does. And everybody's not going to have the same benefits in heaven. Some of us will have less benefits than others. Because some of us are producing gold for God and some of us are producing stubble. And God is not going to give us any reward for the stubble in our lives. He's only going to give us reward for precious things that can stand His test. And in heaven there will be rewards. I've heard people say to me, well, I'll just be satisfied to get there. Listen, I don't think that's going to be true at all. We're going to be very disappointed as we stand there and see our lives open to scrutiny and God takes a close look at us and puts the test on us and all the things that we have done have begun to just burn away and we stand there absolutely naked before God with nothing to show for it. The Lord condemned that man who took his one talent and hid it in the ground. And he blessed those that had produced something for him. And he took that talent away from the man who hid it and gave it to somebody who would use it. And I firmly believe that God takes away, even upon earth, from us some things that we won't use and gives it to somebody who will use it. And when we get to heaven and our lives are put under the fire of God and things begin to burn away and we stand naked before him, we're going to stand ashamed. We can't stand there and be glad that we got into heaven for we should have been producing for the cause of God and we come up empty handed. 
That doesn't mean he'll be lost. See, even though we would lose any reward for all the things that we should have done, verse 15 says, yet we shall be saved. Yes, our soul will be saved, but it'll have nothing. What is it that we're going to take up to the throne of God and lay at his feet and say, here is what I have produced for you? What are you going to take? He's expecting return on our lives. Well, let's look at a third thing about fire as used here and going back now to the Holy Spirit. There they were in that upper room and suddenly they heard this rushing mighty wind but there was something else. They looked over on each other and saw a tongue of fire. They didn't see it on themselves. Peter looked over John and there was a tongue of fire on top of John's head. John looked over at Matthew and the same thing was there. Matthew looked at Bartholomew and Bartholomew looked at Thomas and on and on it went. Everybody was seeing the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the person around him. That's exactly what we ought to be capable of doing. I ought to be able to stand here in this pulpit and see the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you ought to be able to look up here and see it in me. We ought to look across the aisles and see it in each other. There ought to be evidence in your life and mine that we have been empowered with the Holy Spirit. I remember a person in the congregation on a revival meeting one time that the preacher asked him, are you a Christian? I knew that he was a member of that church and had been for years and went through my mind as a child and I've never forgotten it. If anybody has to ask me if I'm a Christian, I'm going to be ashamed. Our Christianity ought to be so evident that there is no question as to where our loyalty lies. It ought to be evident in the way we live and what we do and what we say and where we go. No doubt there are people who are members of this church that have no testimony to give because they have not been empowered with the Holy Spirit. They haven't had that tongue of fire. They haven't heard the wind blow. First Thessalonians 5.19 talks about quenching the Holy Spirit and says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. There are people who quench the Holy Spirit. That is, they throw a damper on him. Throw cold water. Sometimes, ignorantly and sometimes on purpose, people will dampen the, in, the enthusiasm and the faith of somebody else. Somebody will be on fire for the Lord and another person will just throw a bucket of cold water right on them and just cool them off right now. And the scripture says, don't do that. The scripture talks about abusing a little child that is God's. And saying it's better for that person if a millstone were hanged around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. What's it talking about? It's talking about quenching the power of the Spirit in somebody's life. 
We're to build up, not to tear down. We're to encourage, not to discourage. We're to support, not to detract from what one might do. You have only one job toward me, and that's to encourage me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind to do the best that I possibly can as your pastor. And it's my job to encourage and support you as the congregation of this church to build you up and get all out of you that is possible. That's our job with each other. And nothing less. Now we see a lot of people whose spirits have been dampened. Well, we have been members of our church. We have people who are members of this church that haven't been here in a year and a half, I know. Because I've been here that long, or a little longer. I haven't seen them yet. Are they lost? Well, they might be, but there's very good possibility that they simply had so much cold water thrown on them that they no longer are on fire. Now, there's one thing that I've noticed about a fire. You can throw a bucket of water on it and it's still smolder. You don't always put out the fire by pouring water on it because there are some coals down there that continue to burn. And if you leave those coals alone, after a while they may spring into life and all you've got to do is feed that fire a little bit and you've got a roaring fire again because the embers are there. If the Holy Spirit ever took residence in your heart or mine, it makes no difference what might happen to us. Our heart is still smoldering. And it will take just a little bit to fan it into flame. And one of the things that I'm trying to do is fan your spirit into flame. Let's get on fire for the Lord. Show our true faith. We oughtn't to smolder. We ought to burn. The right kind of burn, Bill. And we need to fan that fire. I think we need to ask ourselves, are we smoldering? If you're smoldering, I'd like to see you break out into flame. But listen, if you don't have any fire at all, I'd like to see you get on fire tonight by saying yes to the Lord Jesus. Now, every one of these apostles got the same dose. Peter got the same amount as John and so on. They didn't get, Peter didn't get any more than the others. They all got the Holy Spirit. There are some things that the, that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. That, let, me, let me briefly go over them. One is, one is the Holy Spirit baptizes us, and we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit earlier. That is, the Holy Spirit totally engulfs us. And this is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit engulfed those 120 people, and he had them completely in his grasp. When the Holy Spirit has you in his control, you're going to do something wonderful for him. You're not going to let closed doors stop you. You're going to go out and proclaim the gospel of Christ like these apostles did. Another thing the Holy Spirit does is to give us some, uh, some certain capabilities. Some people he has given the gift of singing, the gift of playing a musical instrument, maybe a gift of teaching or a gift of preaching or a gift of testifying or a gift of praying. 
I think you need to find out what your gift is because the Holy Spirit gives you, every one of us, some gift. Now, whether you're using your gift or not is a question that we need to solve. Are you using the God-given ability that you have to glorify God, or are you hiding it in the ground, sticking it under the bushel, holding it down by keeping water poured on it so that it won't get out and do something? Then he talks about the indwelling. That's the third purpose. The Spirit is to indwell and to get into our heart. He talks about sealing. One of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to seal our salvation. I know I preach this all the time, and I cannot pass this sermon up but say it again. If you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I read in God's Word that He seals your soul, and nobody can get you out of God's control. Nobody. Not even the devil himself can take you away. And the last thing I'd like for us to notice is that one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to fill us. When one is filled with the Holy Spirit, then there's a surge of power. And sometimes we need a rekindling of that fire, a rejuvenation. We need a stirring. And that's the purpose of revival. I've talked probably more to the church tonight than I have to, to sinners as far as that is concerned, to lost people. But the scripture says to stir up the gift of a God that is in you, and I think it's time that the church stirs up its gift. Each one of us stirs up that fire and gets it into flame that we might be doing what God wants us to do. And a revival is a time for a spiritual tune-up, and we're here to get tuned up in order that we might for another year be on fire for the Lord. And we may have to have another tune-up somewhere along the line. Our automobiles have to be tuned up every once in a while. And this is one of the things that ought to happen out of revival, is that the church ought to be tuned up. But we're ready to go to work for the Lord. But if your motor is totally missing, brother, sister, it's only going to mean something when the Holy Spirit takes a hold of you. And I tell you, God sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost into the hearts of those 120, and he hasn't stopped sending the Holy Spirit to this very day. The Holy Spirit is outside your heart's door right tonight. And that scripture when Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will hear my voice and will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me, is very true tonight. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not want any person to go to hell and suffer the fire of eternal damnation. He wants one to be on fire for the Lord. And you can become that by opening up your heart and doing one simple thing. It's very, very plain. One is repent. That is, saying to God, I'm sorry for the way I've lived, and I want you to save my soul. And Jesus said, if you'll open the door, then all you've got to do is say yes. Just say yes. The Holy Spirit will rush in and fill you. Then you'll have the feeling that we 
want. But you're not going to feel saved until you are saved. You know, it's difficult to understand why anybody knowing that there is an eternity that begins this very second, an eternity in front of us, would take a chance on going the wrong direction. When God above loved you enough to send his son down and die on the cross, and God said, whosoever will believe in my son, I will save him. I will. Let God perform the miracle in your life. Let him do it. All you got to do is say yes. And there will be a rushing mighty wind that will fill your soul. And it'll be almost like you've got fire on your head. But it'll only happen when you say yes. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.